Well, good evening. It's good to see you all here. Are you cold, Mary? You're cold. <laughs> Anyone else cold? You guys are cold? If someone wants to turn the air up, Adelio, you're the air man. Yeah. Make it so it's not as cold. We do that to keep you awake because it's working good. Okay, we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians entitled Vision. And open with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we, we talked about these two amazing verses basically that have kind of been a cornerstone to Christianity. And it, it has to do with how we are saved. And we are saved by grace through faith. That is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That God has made it possible so that we can have a relationship with Him. And then from there, it develops into a relationship through him to others. And we're going to be continuing from there because we have to see what Paul is addressing here at this book and the people he's talking to there at Ephesus. You know, we all try to identify ourselves or we all have identities and there are certain things that we connect to. For some people, it's ethnicity. You know, I'm Italian. That's my identifying mark, you know, and you're proud of it, your heritage, I'm Hispanic, I'm, you know, Irish, whatever it is. It's kind of funny how everyone, oh yeah, you know, the the Irish, they're hot-headed. Well, so are the Italians and so are the Hispanics. I guess we all are, you know. Uh, it's kind of like we all have these things where we say, you know, this is my identity and I, I connect with these people. Sometimes it's in a social economic status. You know, I'm middle class. I'm upper middle class. I'm no class. I, I, I have this identifying. This is the people who I identify with. It could be our family. And some people, it's music. In high school, that was the big thing. You could identify the groups by the music they listened to because they started dressing like the people they liked to listen to, whether it was punk there was glam rock when I was going to school, just so you know. You know, those kinds of things would affect who you were and your identity. And so Paul is dealing with these diverse identities. You have these people who are, are saying that we are God's chosen people, the Jewish people, and, and they come from basically a, a single family from Abraham. And they're saying that we are God's people. God has given us the law. He has given us his promises. And then you have everyone else. You've got the Greeks. You've got the people from Asia. You've got the rest of the world. And they all have their different places. And, and now they're coming together. And every church that Paul would plant in these areas, whether it was Greece, Asia Minor, whenever he was making a church, it was racially mixed, and with it came racial tension. There was a lot of 
issues because those people are coming here and we don't usually hang out with them. And that was the attitude that they had. And so you're trying to to get these people to get together and pretty soon you've got one set of people, the Jewish people are sitting on this side and then you have the other people sitting on this side and you have the contention. In Acts we see that there was contention because the, the Gentile widows felt that they were being neglected and they thought they were playing favorites to certain people. And so you start hearing this complaining, people saying, hey, you're not taking care of us, you're playing favorites, you like them more than us. And this is how he's starting And so you can imagine the tension that is there and the church is born in this tension. A tension that was ethnic, it was cultural, and it was religious. Because the Jewish people came from a strict tradition. This is how you worship God. And the Gentiles, depending on what their beliefs were, had their own religious beliefs. And now they're coming into this new community and they're being told how to worship God. And the Jewish are saying, well, you know, it's coming from our lineage, so it's going to look a lot like us. And the Gentiles are saying, well, no, I don't want it to look like that. I like the way I worship. You know, we play guitar and we have drums in our worship. You guys just use the organ and piano. We don't like the, I want worship to look like it looks for us. And they're getting very particular in these things. And that's how the church was born. But we don't have those problems anymore. (laughs) See, Paul had to teach the members of these early churches a new way of seeing the other person. And I think that's something that is always ongoing. We have to have a, a new way, not just of seeing ourselves, but how we see other people. And so that's what he's trying to do here. We need to distinguish between the appearances and the reality. What we see and what we're used to and what really is in the eyes of God. And where do those things line up? We need to remember, first of all, us here who are are Gentiles, we need to go and remember who we were. And so start at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he starts off saying, remember who you were, you Gentiles of the flesh. That's what it means by birth, incarnate, is by you who were Gentiles in the flesh. You were circumcised. The circumcision came by by hands and this idea of the flesh and with human hands is an important part to think. You see, God has chosen one people to whom he revealed himself, the the Jewish people. He he gave them the, the rituals, the atonement 
and an explanation, the reasons why things were done and the reason why he did what he was doing, purposes and functions for those rituals. They had this knowledge and you who weren't a part of that, you were excluded from that just because of your birth, just because of the flesh, because you weren't born a Jew, you didn't get to enjoy the knowledge, the revelation that God had given to them. You were excluded from those things. And so he taught them how to approach him in worship, how to live with each other. He he gave them specific instructions, but you didn't get to receive those because you weren't a part of that people. God continued to speak to Israel through the prophets. There are spiritual ramifications for being born outside of this family. Because you were not a part of them, you didn't belong to, quote, the chosen people. And Paul starts off, you wouldn't think this is where you would start off. You would you'd think he would start off and saying, it doesn't matter that you weren't one of them because now it's all good. He actually starts off and saying, you didn't get in on a lot of those things. You missed out on a lot because you were excluded from this conversation that God had been having in history with these people. And so he makes us aware, first of all, of who we were. Imagine if you're visiting a country where you have no rights, where there's no legal representation, you have no insurance, you have no voice. You know, a lot of times there's these countries where people are having to flee. They're refugees that have to flee their country because of war and because of hardship. And they go into another country and they're hostile to them because they identify them with the country. Oh, you're you're from, you know, Sudan, so you must be Sudanese. It's like, we're trying to get out of there just to save our own lives. And you're identifying us with the people who we're running from. And they come there and they feel like already there's an attitude against them. They, They don't have the means to make a living. They don't have any rights. They can't vote. They have no discourse with anything that is higher up that can make a difference. And that's where we as Gentiles were in regard to Israel's life with God. Strangers to that covenant, strangers to that promise, totally refugees in that sense, with no rights, no voice. We were outsiders in this conversation with God. That's where we as Gentiles were in regard to Israel. God made several covenants with Noah and with Abraham and throughout with these people, saying what he was going to do, how he was going to work. And so as he goes on and he tells them, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, verse 12, in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. That word without God is actually the word atheos. It's where we get our word atheist from. Having no hope beyond myself, 
or this life, I'm without God. Perhaps ignorant to him, perhaps hostile to him, but detached from him. And so that's the state that you, that I was in. Foreigner, no rights, no voice, without God, away from God. It's kind of interesting, it's ironic really, because there came a time where the Gentiles and even the Jews looked at Christians and called them atheists without God because they didn't see in them the things that connected them to God. They weren't worshiping the idols. They weren't sacrificing the animals. And so in their minds, they have no connection to God. They are without God because they don't do the things that we associate as being with God. Isn't that amazing? That here are these people who are entering into this deep relationship with God, but the outsiders look at them and say, you're not doing the things that we associate with God, so therefore, you cannot be one who's dear to God. You're not committed to God. What have you sacrificed this year? No animals? Ha! How can you be right with God? You can't be right with God. You know, what idols do you worship? Oh, I don't worship idols. Ha! That proves you have no God. Where is he? I don't see him. And you see, immediately, this new community is put in a place that doesn't fit. It doesn't fit completely in this old tradition that the Jews had, and it doesn't fit in the pagan ways that the Gentiles have. And they're actually starting to take on this whole new identity. And he adds at the beginning that circumcision, after all, is something that human hands did, which is what the Jewish writers used to say about the pagan idols. They just make them with their hands. And Paul is saying, well, that's what circumcision is. It's just you doing something with your hands. It's in line to your beliefs, but it's your work. Just like you say the pagans make their idols, you're actually making circumcision an idol in itself and you're making this idea circumcision is the way you identify yourselves but don't you see it's like this idolatry it's just done with human hands and so those who belong to the messiah are are now this new people this new community they're now like refugees in the world. They don't fit here. They don't fit here, but they belong to both. And in verse 13, he continues, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. According to Paul, there was no formula to being a Christian. It's not something that was made by human hands, it is not the result of doing, but of entering into this state. It's a matter of being. You didn't do anything, you just got to become it. Jesus is at the heart of this whole process. You were far away, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's the one who's brought you in. Verse 14, he goes on and he says, 
For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so now he's coming in verses 14 and 15 are actually kind of poetic. They actually go together and I want to write this out because you don't normally see this just as we read it or I didn't see it. The first thing he says is that we've been brought into this peace with God. Right? We've been brought into peace because He is our peace. He's made union with us, brought us together, and He's abolished or removed the wall, the obstacle. And that's what takes place in verse 14. We see that He has brought us to a place of peace, for he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's brought us into this unity and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so Jesus has brought us to a place of peace, union, remove the wall. And what does it say in verse 15? By setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. By setting aside, and so in other words, what he's doing here is removing the obstacle, abolishing in his, effect, his flesh. And so we see here that he removes the obstacle by abolishing it in his flesh. And then he brings us to union. He might make the two one. And then he leads us to this peace. And so what's happening in verses 14 and 15 is Paul is kind of Actually, it's almost like a song. It's almost like a poem where he's just going back and forth, where he's saying, look at this is what has happened. One, two, three. This is what's happened. Three, two, one. He's bringing this clear by setting aside in his own flesh the law and its commandments, breaking down that barrier and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, the union out of the two, thus making peace. And isn't that what we're looking for? Peace with God. Destroying the hostility that was there between these two factions. With all their pride, with all their identity locked up in their rituals or in their ethnicity, he's saying, no, you see, what God is doing is bringing peace to the both of you. He's making you one and he's abolishing what kept you apart. He's destroying what kept you apart. He's making you one people and he's bringing you in to peace. And so he's leading them in this journey. It's kind of, uh, uh, again, a repeated thing that happens also in verses 16 and 17. He kind of emphasizes this whole point. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Put to death their hostility. The wall that separated Jews and Gentiles has come down. The hostility that had existed between the groups has itself been killed on the cross. And so now the person of Jesus is who we look to that destroys the segregation that's taking place between the two people. Because we start to see the other person 
differently because we're not looking at our own religious rituals, ethnicity. We're looking at what Jesus has done for us, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he's bringing this into this new humanity, this new people. In verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He gave peace to you who were Gentiles who weren't a part of the promise and he gave peace to you Jews who had the promises and the covenants but didn't fulfill them, didn't see their meaning. And he's brought you into this new relationship, not only with God, but with each other. And you see, here's the point that Paul's making and here's what we need to understand. A faith that doesn't change our relationship with other people is a useless faith. John says, if you love God, how can you love God who you've seen when, or you haven't seen when you can't love your brother whom you have seen? And if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. And so the purpose of Christ is to destroy the hostility that is there between us, to tear it down. And instead, He created something new. The apostles in Jerusalem thought that to make the two one, the Gentiles would have to convert to Judaism. But instead, he's creating something altogether new. Neither Jewish nor Gentile, but now like Christ, which we call Christian. It's not the start of a new religion It's the start of a new humanity. It is bringing every person, wherever they are at, into this new identity that is found in Jesus, in who he is and in what he's done. Verse 18, it says, For through him... We, have both, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. God's new people, the new humankind that we've been brought together. You see, Jesus did this by his blood, in his flesh, and through the cross. Now, it's interesting. Remember, the tension between Gentile and Jew in verse 11 was located where? In the flesh. Circumcision. You who were not Jews in the flesh, now Jesus has brought you together. How? By giving his flesh. By dying for you. But even much more so. So it was in his flesh that Jesus finally resolves the tension. Destroys the barrier between those who were out and those who were in. And more than that, bringing us in to a place where we now have peace with God. How do you have peace with God? What do you have to do to earn peace with God? How good do you have to be to earn God's favor and to get God's peace? How many laws do you have to keep to be able to have God give you his peace? You have to keep 10 of them? You have to keep 20? Are there sub-commands to the... 10 that you have to keep? 
How do you get peace with God? Do you have to be born into a family? Do you have to be born or go to a certain church? Do you, what do you have to do to be right with God? I think it's amazing that we get so caught up that we do things the right way. You know, this is how God wants us to do things. And then we're adamant about it. And if you don't do the things the way we do them, you're probably not right with God. But do you know how many people are saying that? How many people are saying to Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we're the right way and you who don't do things our way are wrong? And then they go to the scripture and prove themselves right. So who's right? And you see, the tragedy of the church as we keep building or rebuilding the walls that Jesus tore down. We keep trying to bring up factions between us. Well, we believe this about the Bible. Well, we believe this. Well, we believe this about the gifts of the Spirit. Well, we believe this. We believe this about the end times and the return of Jesus. Well, we believe this. Okay, well, you're part of that group. Okay, we're part of this group. And we'll have seminars that talk about how your group is wrong. Why? Because we're right. And the whole point is that Jesus died to destroy the hostility that was there between us doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, but we have to understand that the only reason any of us have access is because of what Christ has done on the cross. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's not because you know the right thing that you have access to God. It's not because you worship the right way that you have access to God. It's because Jesus has made it possible and you go to him. Now, yeah, you can have a skewed idea of Jesus where it's no longer Jesus. But for the most part, really, what people argue about are peripheral things. And it's the tragedy. You know, this new spiritual community is built on, first of all, Jesus. And he goes on and he tells us, verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You're not a foreigner anymore. You belong. I find that people who aren't actually American citizens who then become American citizens are the ones who usually appreciate the citizenship the most. You know, we have our citizenship. Most of us, or a lot of us, don't even have passports. It's like, no, I'm an American citizen. I don't need a passport. This is where I live. But those who are coming from another country have to have a passport, have to have a visa, have to be able to come here. And when they actually become citizens here, 
it means a lot. I belong here now. This is my home. This is where I live. And they're the ones who appreciate the freedoms, especially if they're coming from a tyrannical kind of you know, government. Government of tyranny. We've been brought in. He's given us new citizenship. We now have the passport. We, we belong. And, and in this new spirituality that's built on the apostles and the prophets constructing this, and, and it's built on them because they were with Jesus, they had the truth of Jesus, and so they're able to reveal those truths to us. So it's not just like anyone can believe whatever they want, but it's Christ himself that holds it all together. We have been given a place in the family, a place of belonging. And the building that is formed by the union of our lives is the dwelling place of God himself. And that's how we should see the others as well. So it's not just us. We're supposed to welcome others. You know, we've developed logical reasons for excluding people. You know, who aren't like us in the flesh, who aren't citizens, who aren't a part of us. And if they come near our places of worship, they're made to feel like strangers. You know, Christian spirituality turns us fully towards God and then it turns us fully towards other people. That's what Christian spirituality does. Because we're a family. No matter where you're coming from, you have a place at this table. You belong here. And our spiritual journey is always a shared experience. It's always meant to be in a community. You know, sometimes we only walk with the people who are like us. We, we don't connect to strangers. But God uses others to teach us, to perfect us. And he uses us to work and perfect others. We, we need one another. And, and like the Ephesians, I think a lot of times we look at other people and naturally see the differences. You know, it's amazing that we don't realize how much we actually judge people. If I were to put a picture up of a person who you've never seen before and say, okay, I want you to tell me what this person does for a living or, or what they're like, you would see that person and just based on the, the physical appearance, you would start to make judgments on them. Okay, they look like they're well kept, so I think they're, you know, medium income, um, you know, they're, uh, whatever their race is, you might put them in a certain category just based on that race. Um, if they have a kind of a, a scowl, they're a mean person, you know, they're, they're not a nice person, they're a grouch, you know, whatever it is. You just see that person and you start to identify things with them just based on that one appearance. And if I showed five different pictures, you'd have five different ideas and perceptions of those people just based on a picture. And we don't realize that we do that with each other. 
You walk into a room and you see people and you make a decision who that person is, what they look like, how they act. Oh, that person's stuck up. Look at them. You know, look at they, they're not talking to anybody. They're, you know, oh, look at that person's a grouch. Why? Because they're, you know, that scowl. You make those decisions automatically. And if you don't realize that you're doing that, then you're going to give in to that natural tendency to exclude people and to judge people and, and to bring that kind of division on them. You, you see them naturally and you see the differences and those are the things that stand out to you. Oh, look at that. You know, they do things in some countries and it's like, that's so stupid. You know, in, in Mexico, there's a lot of these places where you can't flush the toilet paper. What? That's just disgusting. And they have a trash can where you put the toilet paper after you use it. It's like, what? That's dirty. And we come from a perception, oh, that's terrible. Of course, they only have septic tanks. And if you flush the toilet paper, you clog the septic tank and it costs you a lot of money. But you see the difference and you don't understand the reasons. You see someone and you see the difference and you don't know what makes them the way they are. You don't know what they've been through. You haven't walked a mile in their moccasins. You know, you, you haven't been on their journey and so you're making a decision really without knowledge you're seeing a picture and you have no idea who the person is but you make a decision because of the differences what would happen if when you saw a person you saw in them what Jesus sees in them what would happen if you saw a person and you recognize that the same love and mercy that God has shown to you is wanting to be given to them. What would happen if that was your first inclination instead of the differences to see the similarities? That I was a stranger, so are you. I was a, a foreigner, a refugee, and so are you. I didn't have an awareness of God. I was distant from Him. I did not know God. And so do you. What if we started there? How would it change our interaction with people, especially us who name the name of Christ as ours, call ourselves Christian? What would happen? Paul has explained that we are not only looking at the flesh, we are not to only look at the flesh, the exterior, but we need to look at what's happening inside. Looking at people this way, we won't see how they're like us in Christ or how we fit together if we only see how they're different. We won't see God's new humanity. See, the beautiful thing is when you see the diversity and you say, this is the new humanity that God is creating. And it's different ethnicities, it's different characters, different temperaments, different personalities, different habits, different issues, different problems. And this is the humanity that God is making us all to be a part of. And it changes when you care. 
you know, it's difficult sometimes when you're having to discipline someone who you love because you love them. And a lot of times parents might have a problem, you know, and sometimes moms more than dads, sometimes not. But, you know, you, you see your child and you see that they're heading in a bad direction and your inclination is to, well, I just want to help them. I just want to pick them up and put them in the right direction. But you have to do it so that they end up in the right place and they make the right decisions. But what would happen if you saw everyone that way? Not just your own child, but all the people. And it's difficult. Sometimes it helps us to actually see things more clearly, even towards our own kids in that way. And so... Looking at people this way, we don't see the differences. We see how they are alike, the new humanity. And one way, the trick is to see the stranger as your brother or your sister. See them as part of your family. How? Hopefully you have an okay family. <laughs> Some people that doesn't work. But you know, you want to see them as a brother or sister. Or another way, the trick is to see Jesus. And others. Well, I can't see Jesus in that person. And then, it, like Jesus would say, you know, blessed are you, you know, my Father. Enter into the joy of the Lord. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or naked? He said, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me it starts to become clear. You see, we're supposed to see people the way God sees people. And so we need to prepare ourselves by remembering that Jesus spilled his blood to tear down the walls that divide us. He gave his life to deal with our issues with one another and the things that divided us. Paul talks more about unity in all his writings than he does about sanctification or justification combined. He talks about the body of Christ being unified more than he talks about how to get saved or how to walk with God in holiness. But you wouldn't get that impression not by the way we act. And so Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, as a result, there is no longer any we-they division. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That he is the unifying factor in all of humanity. And until we come to that recognition, we are going to look at the differences, we are going to be divisive, and we're going to keep on separating ourselves instead of drawing together. It's a difficult thing for me. There are people who I strongly disagree with. How they talk about Jesus. 
whether I like it or not, I am still their brothers and sisters. I can say how I disagree with them. I can say, man, I, I don't like this about them. I don't like this. But you see, I realize I have no higher position than they do. It, it's only by Jesus that I've come, and I realize that that's the same for anybody. And so I need to do what I can to live with the tension. doesn't mean I give in to everything that they believe. Paul tells us in Romans that we have to be convinced for ourselves. But I have to do all that I can. As much lies within you, Paul says, live at peace with all men. Are we doing that? Now, we don't have the Jewish-Gentile tension that they did. Not really, for most of us. What we have is the tension between the different factions of Christianity, between the Calvinists and the Armenians, between the Pentecostal and the Baptists, between the different denominations. That's where our problems are. That's where our tension is. That's where we need the work. That's where we need to check ourselves. You know, I love that we are partnering with the Episcopal Church. It's good for me. I met some amazing people. They do things different. I don't think we're ever going to do the things the way they do. That's okay. I have worn a collar going into Haiti, just to let you know. Made it easier to get in. And Denise has a picture somewhere. She says she's going to blackmail me if she ever needs to. <laughs> but it's good for me to see that they aren't different. It's good for me to extend myself, have conversation, develop friendships, to disagree, to talk to recognize that Christ has brought us peace, he's brought us union, and he has torn down the things that have divided us. And because he has torn that down, we can be united. And we can work to help the children in Haiti. And we can have the peace of God in our lives because of that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the things that are revealed here would be revealed in our lives as well. That the areas that this is taking place, maybe within us, Lord, you would expose to us and, and give us wisdom, Lord, how to live a life that holds to our convictions but holds more strongly to the cross. That would be able to appreciate the differences, we'll be able to celebrate, Lord, our freedom in you and to know that you are at work in many ways through many different means. But Lord, you are the reason we are here. Father, we were all at one time strangers, outcasts, refugees. We were we're distant. We were far from you. We, we were unaware of of the reality of who you are and you have brought us in to your family through the cross and it is by grace we are saved through faith 
not of ourselves, lest we should boast. So God, may we never boast that we belong to you. May we boast in what you have done so that we can have the freedom to come to you in whatever our condition is. Lord, you have extended yourself to us. And Lord, may we see other people not as different, but may we see them as family. And even as there are disagreements in family, Lord, there's going to be disagreements in your family. That's okay. But it is our family. We do care and we want to see them do better. So Lord, give us the wisdom and give us the love and compassion to see this unity take place in our lives. May we do all that is possible to live at peace with everybody. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name.